Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Heavy teaching component. It means that you're going to be really bored. And the more quiet you get, the more you're going to get bored. And the more the cycle of depression is going to settle over our church. So I do need your help. It is gonna, if you do get it, if this makes sense to you, if this is something that is, um, uh, you know, helping you, say something. Just say something. And uh, just help me out here. Uh, it's going to be good. Who, who enjoyed Lift Talks last week? Lift Talks, I think, was our best yet. I think we are talking about having a part two conversation early next year to continue talking about, I guess, emotional issues, difficulties that we might be going through. Uh, but we've got really special lift talks that we are considering and we're pulling together for somewhere in November, I think. Is it November? Yep, November. Yeah, somewhere around there. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. And we are actually going to be talking about women in leadership. That's actually what we're thinking of, we're pulling together, getting some high-powered um, women executives or entrepreneurs, uh, and just have a conversation. We, we see Live Talks as a great way um, to, to start conversation. And I, I think it's sometimes really important that the church doesn't shy away from some really important conversations. And so Live Talks is one of those ways that we are able to do that. And so stay tuned, we'll have more information about that. Uh, but... If you cast your mind back to two weeks ago, or if you got the podcast uh, recently, I started this series, Untangling Emotions, explaining about the place of emotions. And I drew for you guys this diagram, which I will be drawing again, so that I know some people were here and they listened to the podcast and I was pointing to stuff on the board and talking and they were like, they just could not imagine what was going on. I'm going to try to do a little bit better at explaining what I'm doing. So for those who are not at church, the first question is, why are you not at church? You should be here. This is the best message you will ever hear, but you will not be able to see. And um, so anyway, but we still love you. And so um, we talked about the place of emotions and I wrote the word emotions on kind of like the bottom right hand side of the board. And I drew a little line pointing upwards and next to it, I wrote the word thoughts. If someone can just take a picture and then post it up on social media, they can grab it. And both our emotions and our thoughts feed into this sense of me. This is who I am. And out of who I am, I act. So these are my behaviors that come out of who I am. This is really an important concept because when people say, especially in today's world, uh, a lot of times we reflect ourselves based on our emotions rather than our behaviors, and there's a problem there. When a husband says to a wife, I love you, but the actions do not show that they love them, is that really love? Or is it just a feeling of love? Rather than understanding that love has behaviors. Love means that I serve. Love means that I sacrifice. Love means that I support. Love means that I build up. Love means that I am engaged in conversation and in intimacy. You get what I mean? We cannot just say that I feel love and therefore I love, but rather I act out my love and therefore I do love. And we also uh, draw uh, uh, the, the fact that our emotions come from our values. Yeah, you remember that? 
So really, one of the biggest functions of emotions is that it links into our values. We feel something because our values tells us that it is important. It gives us this space to pay attention to something. So for example, because one of my values is that I like cats. So that means my, when I see a cat, I am happy and my attention is drawn towards the cat. Whereas some of the people have got no love for cats at all. And so when they see a cat, they don't feel anything. Driving in this morning, it was one, Beck and I have been watching on Netflix this show called Kitten Rescuers. And literally, this morning, and they show, during the show, quite a lot of times, like little kittens in the middle of the road. And they show cars whizzing by it. And Beck literally feels sick watching that. I'm not quite at that stage. I'm not that emotional yet. Um, but it is still a big deal. And this morning driving in, there was a kitten that ran onto the road. I was like, I'm on kitten rescuers. I wanted to run out, pick it up and bring it home. But we had church this morning. So no extra cat. But one day. Uh, but values give rise to our emotions it, uh, reflect our values. Yep. Got that? And we also spoke about how the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us speaks to our emotions and to our thoughts. Now, this is a very simple and to some extent too simplistic way of dealing with where our emotions are at, uh, their place, because our emotions and our thoughts do interact as well. Our behaviors feed back to our emotions and our thoughts. And there are all these loops that are going on, but this is a basic way to help you understand, especially some really interesting scriptures that we're going to be unpacking this morning. So that is a bit of a recap from two weeks ago. Everyone who is confused, say I. Oh my gosh. Podcast two weeks ago, you'll get it a little bit better. But this is a space of emotions. We are not our emotions. Our emotions has a function in our lives. It is to help us to understand our values and help us to be able to produce behaviors that are in alignment with our values. Today, I want to talk about something that the more I look into it, the more it really excites me and interests me. Uh, you know, in 2018, Oxford Dictionary, um, they, they published their Word of the Year. And the Word of the Year in 2018, according to Oxford, Dic Oxford Dictionary, was the word toxic. The word toxic. The word toxic was put into Oxford's uh, search bar 45% more times than in 2017. Which means that our world is talking about toxicity a lot more. And what Oxford uh, found out is that people were starting to use the word toxic and placing it in front of words to describe the space and what was going on. So you get the words like toxic culture, toxic workplaces, toxic relationships. And it talks about the harmfulness of these spaces and um, these places or people that we're interacting with. And, and, and so it gives people a sense of a way of understanding, okay, toxic, dangerous, harmful, avoid. But we place a word toxic in front of the word emotions as well. And that is something that we are going to be talking about specifically today, toxic emotions. And the problem with putting the word toxic in front of emotions is how confusing that can be for us. You see, the problem with the word toxic emotions, in my opinion, is that it gives a category for emotions. And unfortunately, and, um, and Gallon Bossy last week, clinical psychologist, made this statement that really stuck with me. She said, 
why is it that we like some emotions and we dislike other emotions? And that really made me think. You see, we label emotions as positive and negative emotions, good and bad emotions. The problem with using those descriptors is that we immediately place a value on some emotion, on, on emotions, on how we see these emotions. Good emotions must be good, therefore I want more of them, yeah? Bad emotions uh, don't feel so good, and so they therefore must be bad for me. And so when we use the word toxic emotions, I think the way that most of us think is that we have this overflow of bad emotions. That is toxic emotions. But I'm here to tell you that that's not how emotions work. In fact, going back to last week again with Lift Talks, Anne was talking about how anxiety, which is a negative emotion, right? Would anyone say that anxiety is a positive emotion? Hopefully not. You guys are still not getting this whole talk to me thing. So anxiety is a negative emotion. And so we would say that a toxic emotion is too much anxiety. When anxiety is actually a helping emotion as most negative emotions actually are. And they're supposed to tell us something about some help that we are needing, something that is going on inside of our lives. And what happens when we get too much of it and was telling us that we can speak to, we can step into it and say, you're being too helpful, I'll take it on from here. Anyway, that was last week. But it, it just goes to show that we do have this issue, human beings, with labeling some emotions as that is good for me and that is bad for me, when in actual fact, all emotions have a function in our lives. So where does toxic emotions come in? Well, let me tell you a bit of a story. I was uh, helping a guy out a number of years ago. He was a young man. And uh, really, we were having this conversation because he was doing uh, some behaviors that were morally compromised. Like, it, it was not stuff that I guess you can say a good Christian boy would be doing. Um, it wasn't extremely terrible, but neither was it good. And uh, so we were having this conversation, and we were talking about it, and I asked him because I wanted to understand where he was coming from, and I asked him, so why are you doing this? Why, why, why do you do this? And it wasn't just a one-off type thing. It was something that, um, he, that he was doing again and again. And so I asked him, why do you keep doing this? And he said, because it makes me feel good. Yeah, because it makes me feel good. And I wanted to go a little bit deeper, and so I asked him, what do you mean by that? How do you feel good? What, what does it get you? Uh, how, how do you feel about it? Go a little bit deeper than just giving me this generic word, good. And uh, he thought for a little while, and then he said, well, when I do this, that peer group that comes around me when I'm doing that, um, they give me acceptance and affirmation. Acceptance and affirmation. Is acceptance and affirmation good things or bad things? We would call them good things, wouldn't we? Yeah. And so he was doing these things to feel good. And generally speaking, people do need affirmation and acceptance in order to live well. But here's the interesting thing, because I asked him, how long did that acceptance and affirmation last in you? This is where I honestly, in that conversation, was a little bit surprised, because I was thinking that he would say, oh, you know, it would give me a boost for maybe a week, or maybe three days, he said it lasted the duration of him driving home. 
So the moment he got home, this is his words, he felt worse than before. He felt devalued, worse off. He had lost value in the process of doing this behavior. Even though the behavior brought him good feelings. And so I asked him, what do you do when you feel that way, when you feel worse off? He said, I would open the fridge and eat as much food as I want. And then I'll go to sleep. I'll wake up feeling worse. And then I'll go seek out that behavior that will make me feel that acceptance and affirmation again. Don't tell me that good emotions are always good. Don't tell me that good emotions are always healthy. Because we don't understand that emotions are simply there to tell us something about what is going on. And sometimes even though we feel good or even we know we might even know that the behavior might technically be good, but what it's doing to us might be something that is harmful. Toxic emotions is not so much the emotion itself, but is the circle of behaviors, the pattern of behaviors that it produces in us. So for this young man, even though this behavior brought him a temporary relief from his sense of depression and lack of worth, it made him feel worse after. It promised so much and only delivered so little. And so there was a greater void inside of his heart because he started to question whether that acceptance was real or not. But because he couldn't know, he did not know where else to find that acceptance and affirmation, he continued to get sucked into that place because in the darkness of his depression he was asking himself how do I feel better well that thing is the only thing that makes me feel better he was trying to deal with the emotions rather than to deal with the toxicity that was in his life even though this is a stark and to me somewhat extreme I mean I was surprised at how clear he was that he had this cycle and I asked him so don't you want to break this cycle he said yes and I know that God's probably the place that I need to go to. And I know that God loves me. I know God has got acceptance and affirmation for me. But I don't feel it. Toxic emotions are not dealt with at an emotional level. Toxic emotions must be dealt with at a different level. See, one of the things about emotions is that it causes us to narrow our focus onto something. Does that make sense so far? Emotions give us attention. And so, for example, if you are studying for a test or you're uh, getting ready for an assignment and you're doing an assignment and your emotion is that this is really boring, it actually takes away your attention from what you're trying to do. Does that make sense? And suddenly, everything else is more interesting. Even that stupid bird that is outside the window that you've never noticed before. Oh, look, it's a different color. You don't care about birds, but your emotions have bring you a new focus because of what's taking place. Emotions give us a focus. And when we get into toxic cycles in our life, our emotions are focused on certain things. They are focused, they are drawn in to certain things. For this young man, the focus was solely on whether anyone would say that he's valuable and of worth anyone so he would go around and search
for people to give him that sense of worth. That was his whole attention. Even though he knew somewhere that this wasn't really helpful, the attention was still so strong that that's all he focused on. Even though he knew that God said something different, it was still something that was difficult to break. I've got news for you, Christian. If you have certain cycles in your life that right now maybe they're even popping into your mind, oh yeah, I do that. I get angry, I get jealous, I get envious, I get, you know, what else? I get lustful, I get all of these cycles of emotion that, that you can think through. If you struggle with them, you are in good company. Because the super Christian, known as the Apostle Paul, also struggled with this cycle. I'm going to prove this to you when I find it. In Romans 7, Apostle Paul writing in 15 to 25, I'm going to read this really quickly, and I hope that you can see and sense the tension in this man. I do not understand what I do. For what I do, I do not do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. But if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, I no longer myself who do it, but it is a sin living inside of me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is a sin living in me that does it. <sighs> Let's keep going. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Come on, super apostle. If you say you're wretched, the man who brought the gospel to basically the whole known world, I'm in trouble. What a wretched man he is. What a wretched man I am. He goes on to say, Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, someone should be excited about this. Because Paul was struggling with this very same cycle that I've been talking to you about. And he's saying that I'm going through this. I know it is difficult to break. I'm still needing God's salvation in order for me to be in right relationship with Him. So what makes Him so different from us? Nothing. He is human. We are human. We struggle with these cycles of toxicity inside of us. He finishes off this little bit saying, So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So normal human being, there is a struggle going on. But let me just put for you, uh, in, in these words that I've written on this board, what Paul was talking about, so that we can understand. Because when I read that, it gives me, in my Western mindset, in my modern mindset, a sense that spiritual is good and anything that is within me is bad. Does that make sense? A lot of us have this dualistic view of ourselves and we tell ourselves that all we need to do is to self-flagellate. We just beat ourselves up for feeling these things when that is not what Paul was talking about at all. 
Paul was talking about something else and we need to understand it if we are to break this cycle of toxicity inside of our lives. Emotions are created by God. We started this series talking about that. God created us with emotions. Emotions are designed to be something useful, helpful, and give us a full human life. But we might need to learn how to redeem our emotions because what Paul was talking about is that there's this war between a sinful nature and the spirit. Let me point out where the sinful nature might be. The sinful nature might be in our values. See, when we give the word values to our values, we immediately think that they are important and therefore good. Is valuable. I did not say that word well at all. It's valuable. And so my values are valuable. But our values actually come from a place of our experience. And more often than not, psychologically speaking, we form our values based on negative experiences in our lives. Did you know that? We form our values based on things that happen to us that we never want to happen again. So we become defensive. We become walled up. We learn how not to trust other people. And they are set in our values that have served us well. It's kept us safe. It's kept us away from hurt. That's what values really are. They are what are important to us because of what we have gone through. But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily healthy, good, or true. I know so many Christians that tell me that I know God loves me, but I don't really know it. Why? Because they understand it somewhere, but it hasn't reached this part yet. It hasn't reached the core of who they are. So even though that is valuable to know that God loves you, a lot of you are holding it a little bit away from where the core of you is. This is what I believe Paul's talking about, the sinful nature. Out of these values, there are all these emotions, temptations, desires that wage war against everything else that's happening. And then there's the Spirit of God that is living inside of us. When he says that there's a Spirit of God inside of you, it means that you already are born again. It means that you've already received the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about pre-Christianism. He's talking about the fact that he's a man of faith. He has the Holy Spirit living inside of him, but there's still a war happening between his own values and the new values that the Spirit is trying to teach him. Do you want to know what else he says about this? In, in the very next verse, in chapter 8, Paul says this, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh my gosh, you know how long I was living my life thinking that because I was having these values, I was a bad Christian and God didn't want to know me? Do you know how long I was living in that place thinking that if I have these dark thoughts and these dark temptations and these dark moments in my life, maybe God doesn't want me with Him. Why am I still like that? But Paul says, I am in that same boat and I know that there's no condemnation for me if I'm found in Christ Jesus. One of the big things that we need to know in breaking this cycle is that God is not upset with you. God is not disappointed in you. God is not thinking, you poor, lousy human being, you are out of my kingdom because you thought that nasty thought. Oh, Jesus is saying, I know that there is this war. One of my great servants, Paul, knows about this war. 
But Paul doesn't stop there, and neither should we. He goes on to say, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What's he saying there? We don't have to live according to this anymore. We are not tied to that. That doesn't give us identity and we just have to keep reminding ourselves this. And then he says in verse 5 to 6, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Quick question, who wants life and peace? Yep. Who wants to go through that every day, not wondering whether the anxiety is going to be biting at their heels? Who wants to wake up tomorrow knowing that depression has no part of you? Because the mind governed by the Spirit. You know, that was, that's, that's really, really interesting for me when, when Paul says about this whole thing about setting your mind. Because to me, it sounds like all of the struggle is happening here in the emotional space. But he doesn't say, have your heart set on the Spirit. He doesn't say, set your desires. No, 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 no. Paul doesn't say, set your desires. What does he say? Set your, set your mind. This is what I've discovered. Our emotions are dumb in the sense that even when we know something new is better, our emotions always goes back to the old. I've got two nephews. One of them doesn't mind change. One of them hates change. And so he might love roasted potatoes. But you take that potato and you mash it. And he's like, I hate potatoes. Emotions are kind of like my nephew. <laughs> Where, you know, it kind of gets set and trapped in old ways and old patterns. So the Bible doesn't teach us to set our emotion because we can't. Our emotions set themselves. But what it does is it... It reveals what is truly important to you in that moment, in that moment. So when you are trying to bring something new that is more important into your will, that's where the conflict happens. And it takes time for this value to translate to become our value. The Bible teaches us that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind of our mind why because our thoughts need to be refreshed renewed understand a new truth that god is bringing to us so that we can combat the old ways of thinking so yes you grew up with no one loving you you grew up with your the people who are supposed to care for you they abandoned you in fact maybe they abused you and so you develop this value inside of your life that no one can be trusted but you've lived your life and you know how lonely that is, how depressing that is, how anxious you are, how stressed you are. And then you meet Jesus and you say, wow, 
God would die for me. God would give me life. You find this new truth. You want this new truth. But the old truth is still set inside of you. And you need to learn how to set your mind. Let me show you another verse. 1 Peter 1, 3. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 14. I love these verses. It says, So think clearly and exercise self-control. Think clearly. This is in the New Living Translation, by the way. It says, think clearly. Peter says, think clearly. I love this. So many Christians think that being a Christian means feeling Jesus. No. A lot of it comes from the renewal of the mind. Think clearly. And when you think clearly, what do you do? You exercise self-control. If you feel like your life is spiraling out of control, you ain't thinking clearly. That's a simple fact that's found a gospel. Peter continues to say, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. But you do now. Yes, you were a broken person that no one loved. But you know now, Christ always loved you. He was always pursuing you. He was always coming after you. That anxiety doesn't really have a place in your life. That anxiety doesn't define you. That depression doesn't define you. It was something that used to define you, but now you know better. So exercise self-control. Think clearly. I, I, I found it really interesting. I, I went into understanding where think clearly came from, and it comes from this um, thought, uh, this, this phrase. It says, get the loins of your mind for action. I just love that. Gird the loins of your mind. And we don't know what it means, but I've got a picture here to show you what's happening. There you are, I'd gird your loins. So this is a man who was living back in the day. He, is, uh, um, he, he wears this long dressy type rope thing that was standard attire. Skinny jeans were not in back in the day. They had these things. I don't know, maybe better air feel for them, but they wore these things. And whenever a guy needed to get into work or he needed to run or he needed to fight, he would gird his loins. And that's literally the process of girding his loins. He would gather up all of this long rope and do this fancy tie around his waist area, his loins, so that he can... Wave that sling around and take down Goliath. That's what girding the loins literally looks like. So Peter says, gird the loins of your mind. How many of you have got thoughts that are tripping you up? How many of you have got emotions that are running wild, causing you to pay attention to things that are actually harmful and not good? Maybe you need to gather them up, tie them up. I found it really interesting that in the armor of God that we find in Ephesians, it talks about the belt of, the belt of truth. We gird our loins, we take our thoughts, and we subject it to the truth. When we want to deal with toxic emotions in our lives, don't deal with the emotions. Set your mind. Set your mind. I want to give you three things that you can do to set your mind. Number one is slow down. Slow down. Why? 
psychologically speaking, very important. When we are trying to make quick decisions and move quickly in our lives, quite often we actually snap our logic out of our mind and we react completely emotionally. That's a psychological fact. This is how our brain looks like. Our brain, this is the emotional center of our brain. Yeah, everyone put your fist up like that, put your thumb inside. That's the emotional center of your brain. And then what happens is that we've got this logical center known as the prefrontal cortex, and it covers the emotional part of our brain. That's what it looks like. This is a physical representation of our brain. When we are thinking, well, sorry, when we're making fast decisions, we flip out. That's literally why we call it flip out. No, not literally, but that's why we call it flip out. You flip out. And some of you guys, I've seen you guys flip out. It's ugly. It's crazy. You're crazy. You, are, you know someone in your life that flips out. They're crazy. You know why they're crazy? Because they're not thinking. They have actually cut off the logical part of their brain. And I learned this from a chaplain teaching teenagers about how to get through adolescence. He said, don't flip out. When you're about to act in your anger, when you're about to act on your jealousy, when you're about to act in a way that is going to damage you in the future, and you know it, slow down. Don't flip out. Think about the consequences. Think about your options. Think about what you can do. Don't flip out. Some of us haven't slowed down to think about what is going on. You see, the thing is that when we slow down enough, we can do the second thing, and it's that we can think about what we are thinking. Our brains have been made in this crazy, amazing way, and human beings are what we call self-reflexive beings. This is unfounded in anywhere else in the animal kingdom. Human beings are capable of knowing what they are thinking. As much as I believe that my cat has a personality, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just purely acting out of instinct. So one moment, he will love my cuddles and he will love my belly scratches. The next moment, he's biting the crap on my finger. Why? Does he know why? No, he doesn't know why. Why? Because he's not a self-reflexive being. I, on the other hand, am a higher being than my cat because I have this ability to think about what I'm thinking. And when we slow down enough to see what kind of thoughts are being triggered from our emotions, we are able to then determine what are the values that we are living out. This takes time, people. You know, I didn't know some of the things that I was doing. One of the things that I figured out recently as I slowed down is that sometimes I speak in a very strong, harsh way. And I cut people off. And I was like, I don't really like that. Why do I do that? And I realized that it came from the value of needing to win every argument and to be heard. Because when I was younger, I felt that no one hurt me. And so I developed this value that I need to be louder. I need to be stronger. Whenever I'm speaking about anything, I need to debate and win. Because if I don't win, then that means that I lose. And I needed to deal with that because I actually hurt people. And I felt the Spirit telling me, Nate, you need to change. That value had protected me, got me through high school, got me through university, got me through a lot of life, but it's not good enough to take me into my tomorrow. The Spirit is telling me something new and is bringing it in. So I had to slow down, think about what I'm thinking, link it through to what are the values that are actually guiding 
what is going on. And then I evaluate. That's the third thing. I'm calling it rinse and repeat. Because what happens is that when I see this dark value, really, if you want to talk about toxic emotions, it's actually coming from toxic values. The moment you change that toxic value and bring in a healthy value, your emotions will change. It won't focus on the dark stuff in your life anymore. I guarantee it. But the problem is, the problem is, it takes time. I think I, I read somewhere that it takes 21 days to break an old habit. It takes 40 days to build a new habit. Yeah. And so even though I realize some of the stuff that God is telling me, and I realize what is happening in me, it might take me two months, three months of constantly trying to bring that value into the center of my life. But what happens when it does is that my emotions have a new link. It no longer links to my old values because that circuit is being shut down. It stops being used. When it's not being used, then my emotions start to get in sync with what is happening. So young Christian, young Christian, let me tell you, your emotions are your worst enemy right now. Because there's the truth of God that is coming into your life. But your old emotions are still linked into the old stuff. And one day, the honeymoon of being a Christian will finish. Suddenly, God is good, God is good. God wasn't there for me. I've seen so many people go through that process. But hang on, it's about bringing the truth into the center of my will. Three things. Slow down. Think about what you're thinking. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Can I just say some of you don't even know what to rinse your mind with? Because you're not reading your Bible. You don't know what the Bible says about you. You don't know how to replace the old truth because you've got no new truth to bring it to. Maybe you need to pick up your Bible this week. Find a version Bible app. Do one of those Bible plans. One that tells you about who God says that you are. Do something about it because God wants to bring you life and peace. He doesn't want to hold you in bondage and in owners. He wants to bring something new to you. You see, when we don't do this renewal process, we get caught in this lie that whatever feels natural must be right. Let me say this again. Whatever feels natural must be right. This is one of the biggest lies that our society tells us. That when you're feeling a little bit off, oh, that's not you. But when I feel right, live out of your gut. Your gut is toxic, man. It's filled with crap. Literally, clear it out before you can know what your gut really says. How do you think... A how do you think it happens that, uh, this is a really serious topic, I'm not trying to make a joke out of it at all, but a person that suffers abuse goes from abusive relationship to abusive relationship. What are they doing? They're following their gut. Their gut is filled with stuff in there. Old values, broken values, harmful, toxic stuff. They need to have a rinsing out of that before they can follow their gut. 
I asked Pastor David Storer, one of our mentors a while ago, how do you know that the Spirit is talking to you? He said, Nate, do ministry for 40 years and you will know. I'm like, really? That sucks. But when I think about this, yeah, when I follow God for 40 years and I put into practice listening to the Spirit more and more, that is going to become more and more natural. You see, your old emotions might feel natural to you, but God is wanting to bring you a new normal. God wants to bring in a new normal. Your old way of living will never give you the life that you're looking for. It's only found in a new normal of what God is trying to bring to you. Let me bring to you one final thought about rinse and repeat. I found this out last year. It revolutionized my brain. When we learn how to regulate our emotions and we learn how to deal with the stuff and when we are learning how to place proper, proper values in our life, we can never do it in isolation. Psychologists call this co-regulation. You can search it up for yourself. I might talk about it more next week because I really like it. But co-regulation is this thought that we learn how to regulate our emotions when we are with someone that knows how to regulate their emotions. Most of us are supposed to learn most of these skills when we are children and we see what our parents are doing. That's co-regulation. But some of you haven't had that opportunity. And when you're trying to rinse and repeat, you're trying to rinse and repeat the old stuff because you haven't seen the new stuff. That's why you go to church, to meet other people that might struggle with the same emotions as you but have a different outcome. Why do they have a different outcome? Learn what they're doing. Learn how they are thinking. Learn the thought processes that they are going through and say, if it works for you, it might work for me. And that's why church is supposed to be full of different people because I will connect with someone and like, man, how did you do that? I really, and I love it. I learn from the younger people. I learn from the older people. I learn from so many people. Why? Because so many people have got different ways of thinking. And God has used each and every one of those ways to help me learn how to regulate myself. But when you're starting off, Who's that someone that you can co-regulate with? When that anxiety hits, that wants to take you into this death spiral, into a panic attack, who are you reaching out to? Honestly, I'm not talking about God, because God calls us to live in community. And we can talk about that for another hour, easy. But is there someone in your life that can go, I'm sensing my emotions are spiraling right now. This is what I'm thinking. This is what's happened. And these are the thoughts that are going through my mind right now. What do I do? What truth should I be listening to right now? Co-regulate. Rinse and repeat. Learn off people. Grow. Access life and peace. I'm making it sound simple, but like I said, Paul the Apostle still struggled with toxic patterns in his life. You will, probably for the rest of your life, but you can get yourself to a place where you're effective, where you're living out the call of God on your life, just like Paul was. But it starts with you starting somewhere. What is something that needs to change? That young man that I mentioned at the start of this story, I saw this message. He didn't want to change. 
he continues to be wrecked with insecurity, with depression and anxiety. Still searching for people to say, good on you, mate. You're doing so well. Still doesn't know how to access God. And that's really where I want to finish this morning. God put this on my heart as I was thinking about how to finish off this message. And he said, tell people how to access my love. Tell people how to access my love. The starting point of everything that God is doing is love. And so many of us don't know how to do that. The truth is, most of us carry issues from our childhood with things that happen to us that make us think that we are unloving, that we are unlovable, that we are only worth something if we prove something. Or we just have this thought that I will never be good enough. You've been acting out of those places and that's why there's a depression. There's no hope for tomorrow because I'm not good enough. There's no hope for tomorrow because I keep trying, but I keep failing. That comes from the old values. See, the truth is, Paul realized that it wasn't his behaviors, it wasn't his, his, uh, um, it wasn't his grades, it wasn't how good he was doing. It came back to the love of God. So he talked about how there was this struggle inside of his life. Wretched man that I am, who will save me? Jesus will. There is now therefore no condemnation. There is now therefore no con Some of you need this moment. Maybe some of you more than other people, but you need to hear this. Christ isn't here to condemn you. Christ isn't here to tell you how weak, how lame you are, but Christ is here to reveal that weakness in you and to take it away and to say, I've got more for you. You will live under my grace and my empowerment. You will live under my anointing and, and it will be sufficient for you. What does the Bible say? His grace is sufficient for me and His power is made perfect in my weakness. So I will boast all more in how weak that I am because there is a grace that is there for me when I realize with my open eyes that I am not good enough but He still chooses me and He's the one that graces me. I stand here not as someone who has got himself in order. I'm someone that is very much on this journey but God has graced me at the age of 33 to be standing here in front of you saying there is more, there is more, there is more. So we can get the band up this morning. Some of you need to deal with those deep, dark places. Seriously. You want to deal with those toxic emotions? Stop focusing on the emotions. Key question in this moment, do you know how to let God love you? How do you see God? What are those values that surround God? Some of you, you see God as though you see that parent who never gave you that affirmation, always told you that if you don't get 95% in your grades, you're not good enough for me. Some of you see that parent that maybe would go to work all the time and you know that they loved you through the way that they provided, but they were never there emotionally for you. Maybe when you think about God's love, you think about 
the way someone said that they loved you, that they love you, that they loved you, but then they cheated on you. And they walked away in a place where you were feeling secure and safe in their embrace, but the next moment they break it by walking out of your life. And you're so scared to commit to God because you don't know if He's going to stay or if He's going to go. There could be millions of these stories. And every single one of them breaks God's heart. Because when He sees you, He's standing at the door of your heart and He knocks and He says, let me in, child. I will be enough for you. But you have to let me in. So if every eye closed, every head bowed, if you want to invite Jesus in, if you sense that He's at the door of your heart right now and He's knocking, if there's a stirring in your spirit and you know that there's something broken on the inside and you know that God desperately wants to be let in, can you just say this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I let you in. Let your truth be my truth. Wash over me. Wash over my brokenness. Highlight to me those areas where I don't trust you because I want to trust you. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.